0: is out. Natural learning is in. Hey there, I am Kelly Edwards, your host of this podcast and creator of the 90-minute school day. This is not your typical homeschooling podcast. Here, you will find out-of-the-box stories from the trenches, trainings, tools, and tips to guide you forward. Yes, I like alliteration. We will also share results and mindset shifts to support you in your journey of living and learning alongside your out-of-the-box neurodiverse kids. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome back to episode 10 of the 90-Minute School Day podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Edwards, and today we're diving into a question that has puzzled educators and parents alike. Why don't kids like school? we'll explore various reasons, and more importantly, how we can reshape the way we approach learning in our homeschools to reignite that natural spark of curiosity in our children. Today, we are discussing how to step away from traditional schooling paradigms and embracing natural learning, and how that can make all the difference. So let's unravel the mystery of why some kids seem to have a love-hate relationship with school and discover how we, as parents, can foster a genuine love of learning. Why don't kids like school? Here's my unpopular opinion. It isn't that they don't like learning. In fact, children are busy and seeking learning all day long. It is simply that we adults have trouble seeing and recognizing learning for what it is. Learning is meaningful to the learner. Having trouble recognizing learning means we don't notice it, honor it, and we likely don't engage with our children in it, in their special interest. We can think about video gaming, it certainly gets stigmatized in our modern day culture as being not as valued as something that might look more scholarly, perhaps reading a book or engaging in some other activity that's adult approved. I'd like to take a moment and pause and ask ourselves, what if we did honor our children's interests? What if we did practicing noticing not only their interest, their self-chosen learning, but what if instead of dismissing and devaluing it, we actually engaged with them in it? What if we asked them to teach us about their special interest? What if by doing this, we entered their world and saw it for what it was to our child? Exciting, challenging, fun, and rewarding. I think... It is from this place, inside of relationship and trust, built out of our own genuine interest and curiosity in them and their interests and curiosity, that we can offer support in non-judgmental ways. This support may look like our own ideas, questions, and curiosity, or a connection to an expertise that we have and that we're willing to resource them in. This can also look like resources in the forms of time spent with others, people, perhaps some sort of uh, materials that they might need to further their interests, or just help from us, should they ask. Kids love learning. Just sit back and observe what they do with their chosen free time for clues in what interests them and what challenges they enjoy solving. Kids hate school because of four things. Number one, the subject matter selected is not typically relevant to the student. It's not personal. Number two, the subject matter is often not in interest of theirs, or at least not right now. And that goes back to number one, it's not personally relevant to them. Number three, the material is just too hard. It's too much of a challenge. And number four, the material is too easy. The child has already mastered it and therefore is not interested in continuing in this subject material. As we all know, kids are naturally curious and enjoy solving problems. Children are autodidacts. That's a fancy word for being self-taught. Children are natural learners, and so are we. Therefore, I would like to propose that one of the biggest reasons kids don't like school or even homeschool is that the adults are too involved. We are too judgmental. We as the adults are achievement and task oriented, and we are in their way. Today's training. So what can we do to bridge this gap between loving learning and hating school? The very first thing we need to do is to get out of the way and re-look at our approach to learning in our homeschools as the adults. We need to reposition ourselves from the top-down authority on everything, which let's be honest, that's exhausting, from that top-down role, and instead move into a side-by-side role, a with-them approach, where we're learning alongside our children, or even allowing them to lead and we learn or follow them. I developed the 90-Minute School Day to bridge this gap between school and learning for the parents. (laughs) The 90-Minute School Day philosophy stands on the shoulders of three educational philosophers, Dr. Maria Montessori, Charlotte Mason, and John Holt. Each of these educators embraced the concept of children as whole persons. This simply means that they are seeds, children are seeds to be watered metaphorically, given sunlight to, and kept safe to enable growth. They have everything inside of them. If you know that Emerson quote about a thousand forests come from one acorn, it's the same idea. That acorn has everything inside of it besides water, soil, and sunlight to grow into a huge oak tree. Holding this mindset of children as whole persons or a seed recognizes that everything they need is inside of them their personality their strengths and their giftedness and our role as their parents is to give them the nutrition they need the environment and the soil that they need the sunlight and the safety that they need to meet their full potential they are not clay to be molded in an image of our own creation So when we view children as whole persons, this means we as parents must mutually respect them and their personhood. We guide instead of instruct or place judgment. We partner with our children in deep relationship and trust and lend them our greater resources and lived experiences to support them in their natural and individual process to learn. In school, The teacher holds the knowledge and disseminates it to the children to learn from her or him, if the children are open to do so, interested, and able to receive the teaching in the format that it is being delivered. In natural learning, the adult collaborates and guides the child in their self-chosen learning journey. These are the differences between a school mindset and a natural learning mindset. As parents, many of us have been all the way through the school system, and so we are very conditioned to looking at learning through this school lens. And so what we need to do to add harmony and joy and a love of learning into our homeschools is to shift our paradigm or shift our mindset or shift the lenses we are looking through, from viewing learning as something that is done to kids in a compulsory school towards supporting children to engage in their own intrinsic motivation, answering their own questions, solving the problems of interest to them, and therefore developing the skills they need to continue to further this process of discovery and achievement achievement that they find valuable not us. This shift is a process and it has a name. The name is deschooling you may have heard this term. this is a process or a time when the parents are deprogramming. the kids can too but it takes them a lot less work as parents we... Use this time, this process to break free from the institutional paradigm of school to individual learning. It's a lifelong process and it deepens, grows, and expands as we delve further into our own practice of natural learning with our kids. If you would like more information on de-schooling than what this podcast provides, I would like you to consider joining the waitlist for guide training it's linked in the show notes. Guide training is a coaching cohort of parents that I hold twice a year that focuses on deepening our own de-schooling and supporting one another in homeschooling. Deschooling schooling has many benefits, and some of them I'd like to list here. Deschooling schooling expands our time, our connection, and all of our individual autonomy, so that as a family made up of individual members, we can reclaim healthy, intrinsic motivation by choosing joy and delight over drill and kill. Deschooling helps us slow down, calm down, and notice the learning that is happening around us each and every day. Is deschooling unschooling? You may ask. I get this question a lot, and deschooling and unschooling are different. Deschooling is a process, like I've already mentioned, and it can result in unschooling. However, unschooling is a separate concept. Where deschooling is a process of deprogramming from a school mindset, unschooling is an approach to learning. Unschooling is built on trust and relationship between the parent and the child, mutually. Unschooling respects the child's inborn desire to learn and to be self-motivated in the pursuit of attaining knowledge. In John Holt, who is the father of unschooling, in his newly revised book, Teacher Own, unschooling is described as allowing children as much freedom to learn in the world as their parents can comfortably bear. I love that definition. It's my absolute favorite one of unschooling. I'm going to repeat it one more time. Unschooling is allowing children as much freedom to learn in the world as their parents can comfortably bear. Okay, so that's going to look different for everyone. At the end of all of this, the whole point that John Holt's philosophy, Maria Montessori's philosophy, and Charlotte Mason's philosophy that the 90-minute school day has matriculated from all agree that we need to get out of our own way and out of the child's way in the learning process. And this is hard. It's not something that I think we will ever be perfect at, but it is something that we can practice and progress in through the deschooling journey, the de schooling practice. During deschooling, we learn to sit with discomfort and doing things differently than our peers, and perhaps differently than the way we were raised. So today I want to walk through carving out the space to start deschooling or to deepen this practice. The number one thing you need to prioritize and practice before moving forward is to get clear on why you're homeschooling and what your family values are. Not what you think they should be, but what you truly value and want to hold for yourself and hold for your family. Weigh in with your other family members, write it down your why and your values and revisit these seasonally to adjust as your family grows and expands. Once you have your why or your purpose for homeschooling and what your family values and perhaps a family mission statement, you have this all spelled out and written down, you can hold these against choices that come up, especially difficult ones. Job moves, house moves, homeschooling moves, going back to school, having someone come live with you. How do we approach the birth of a new baby? These choices that you have to make in life, doubts that make spring up, and fears that creep in. You just hold these things against your why and your values to realign yourself and your homeschool to what you've already decided truly matters to your family. Do you like learning with me on the podcast? Consider joining the waitlist for guide training. This cohort coaching series meets twice a year in the fall and spring. We gather here together, learning and community to be a guide, not a teacher. Guides don't do it for you. They help you do it for yourself. Guides go with you. Guides lead when it gets tricky and confidence is lost. They hold your hand when you need it. They walk beside you in relationship. Guides follow and cheer you on as you lead the way. Get the guidance you need to guide your homeschool. Learn more about guide training and join the waitlist by clicking the link in the show notes. Let's get back to why kids don't like school and what we can do about it in homeschooling. As I was preparing for this podcast, I read a fascinating article in American Educator titled, Why Students Don't Like School. It was written by Daniel T. Willingham, who is a professor of cognitive psychology at the University of Virginia. In the article, Willingham answered his article title, which again was, Why Don't Students Like School, with, and I quote, Contrary to popular belief the brain is not designed for thinking I want to say that one more time to answer the question of why students don't like school willingham answered that contrary to popular belief the brain is not designed for thinking that caught my attention did it catch yours he went on to explain that our thinking or our cognitive brain, is slow to process and is not as reliable as our subconscious or unconscious brain processing. This lines up with what we talked about in episode 9, if you want to refer back to that. It's a great primer before you read this article that I will link in the show notes if you want to read a little bit more about this. But basically, I wanted to bring this article by Willingham into today's discussion Because of the ability our brain has to make thinking efficient, because though it's not designed for thinking, it does like to think. And what the brain is designed for is to be efficient, automatic, and unconscious. So most of our brain functioning is happening below our conscious awareness, and it's been encoded and automated over time. This is done by habits. When we encode things amongst other processes, you know, we have our heart beating that subconscious. We don't actually have conscious control over it, but like driving a car, folding laundry, cooking a favored family recipe. These are all things that we don't necessarily have to be consciously aware of that. These have been encoded and automated and happen below our level of consciousness. This is what Willingham meant when he said, contrary to popular belief, the brain is not designed for thinking. It's why we can talk on the phone and drive the car or fold the laundry and watch TV. Each of these examples uses our automated brain to do the driving or folding. This is memory, not cognitive awareness or thinking. Cognitive awareness and thinking might emerge in these habitual processes if there is a change, like a deer jumping in front of the car or a child flopping and messing up all the laundry. Our job as parent educators, therefore, is to build memory libraries in our children's minds. Remember, the habits come out of memory, not cognitive thinking. So again, our job as parent educators is to build those memory libraries in our children's minds so that they are available for those habits. These memory libraries are built from experiences, facts we've learned, and they can be drawn upon as needed to do some thinking about over time and to be encoded in a process and automated. We store procedures as well, you see, the steps to solve a math problem we can do really fast when we've memorized our multiplication tables the turns to take driving to the grocery store, and the folds to make that fold in the shirt in the laundry bin are all steps and processes that we've encoded that can happen unconsciously. Again, the brain is not designed to think, but to be efficient. So how do we build these libraries in the minds of our children? Such a good question. In his article, Willingham also stated that people like to solve problems, but not to work on unsolvable problems. Only the solvable ones are the ones we like. Willingham goes on to say that people are naturally curious, which we know, and part of that curiosity is the enjoyment of solving problems. The enjoyment comes from fuf- the fulfillment of actually solving the problem. When this happens, when we solve the problem, Neurotransmitters like dopamine that drive the brain's motivation also are involved in the reward system. So we get a a little bit of a high when we solve a problem, don't we? These neurotransmitters are released and that makes us feel good and want to do it again. When a problem is too hard, though, working and not solving it, it's not rewarding. It's frustrating. In the same way, having a problem that is too easy or we already know the answer, doesn't hold the pleasure either. In his article, Willingham was discussing the problems that conventional classrooms have. In a conventional classroom, trying to find the right problems for lots of children to solve is a challenge that we all are aware of. I'd like to expand that thought, though, by asking another question, even if we could How do we actually know what is the right level, not too hard or not too easy for the learner? How do we know it? How does anyone know it except the learner? This is where homeschooling really steps in to solve this conundrum quite nicely. If you've spent any time observing your children, And if you'd like more information on that, see episode six. It's all about observation. But if you've spent any time noticing your children, you've observed that they are drawn towards mastering the skills that they are not proficient in. Because once they get proficient in the skill, then that problem is too easy and there's not a reward. You get the idea? I'll give you an example from my own life. My youngest daughter is weak in her fine motor skills at the moment but she loves creating. If you will watch her while she's coloring a picture, she changes her pencil grip often as she colors because her hand gets fatigued. Sometimes she'll even ask for help and I'll always support her in that. She spends a lot of her day working with her hands. Her body knows that it needs to develop these fine motor skills And so, it gives her a lot of pleasure from working with her hands. She'll seek out activities like Play-Doh, Perler Beads, Slime, Glue, Scissor Work, Puzzles, Legos, and others. All of these naturally develop her fine motor skills. The way I can support her is by having materials in her sight or accessible to her to explore and play with on her own. Giving her lots of free time to remain in a flow state is also critical. It is so important to not interrupt her, even for quote-unquote school or formal lessons. You know that old saying about, don't wake the baby? I like to say, don't stop the flow. When a child is in flow, we need to really honor this and recognize it for what it is, genuine, rich, meaningful learning. This is what de-schooling offers us, this opportunity to support our kids in this natural learning way. Considering what Willingham has stated and the examples I've shared, I'd like to bring in what Charlotte Mason has to say on the subject of building libraries in our minds. She lays out natural learning neatly for us, with three instruments for the home educator. Number one, the atmosphere of environment. Number two, the discipline of habit. So creating opportunities for habits, again, is a great memory builder in our minds of these processes, memories, and experiences. And number three, the presentation of living ideas that comes from reading aloud, living life together, and conversing. Again, Charlotte Mason lays out the three ways we can support our children in building libraries in their minds by number one, the atmosphere of environment, number two, the discipline of a habit, and number three, the presentation of living ideas. I'll explain these a little further. The atmosphere of environment is ordered and cultivated by you and your values, okay? It's where you choose to be with your children, in your home, outside of your home. What do these spaces have in them? What are the tools and the resource that you have available to you? Where do you select to go if you leave your home? That kind of thing. And by observing your children, you can add resources to these spaces, these environments. You can include people, different experiences, And you can go to different places to add to your child's physical, relational, sensorial, and time environments. The second principle that Charlotte Mason talks about outside of environment is the discipline of habit. And again, that's all about automation. So an example would be from our home. We make beds together on most days. I help my younger girls make their beds, and some days they actually do it by themselves. My oldest daughter, who's 15 at the time of this recording, is automated. She and I just reflexively have a habit of making our beds. My oldest is automated in her bed making. She has mastered the habit of bed making. It's part of our family culture. The third thing Charlotte Mason was talking about as far as how we can build libraries in our children's mind is living ideas. And these are including stories that have relevance to our children and meaning to our families. This happens through relationship and conversation in our daily lives. Whether we are consuming media, we are traveling together in the car, we are integrating with other people in our communities, we are problem-solving. And We are just having conversations or reading, playing games independently and aloud when we come back together. These three things are all you need to frame a world-class education for your children to build those libraries in their minds. Again, the largest work here is to get out of our own way. I'd like to bring in a few quotes by Dr. Maria Montessori. She and Charlotte Mason have parallel ways, they're a little different, but they're mostly parallel of approaching a learning environment that offers opportunities for parents to cultivate and shape the environment according to your homeschooling why, your values, and the respect of the child and fostering their autonomy. In regards to the respect of the child and fostering autonomy. Dr. Montessori said, and I quote, Except when he has regressive tendencies, the child's nature is to aim directly and energetically at functional independence. Inner forces affect his choice. And if someone usurps the function of this guide, the child is prevented from developing either his will or his concentration pretty powerful, huh? When she's talking about the inner forces affecting his choice, she's talking about the inner guide of this child. And if someone, sometimes this is a parent, sometimes another adult, usurps the function of this inner guide, the child is prevented from developing his will or his concentration. Concentration and will tie into thinking and habits, don't they? It's that conscious thought and then those habituated processes. Montessori also said this in regards to the role of the parent. I quote, care for and keep awake the guide within every child. End quote. In other words, as parents, we trust that our children are natural learners. Autodidex, remember? And by adopting an experimental mindset ourselves, we can deepen our de-schooling and really support our children. Do you enjoy listening to other homeschoolers share their stories and ask their questions? If you're like me, this is how you find new resources and perhaps experience new revelations. It is my deepest desire to share your story and your arrival to homeschooling, the struggles you've experienced, and also why you're still homeschooling. I'd love to elevate your family's unique learning journey for all of us to hear and learn from. I truly believe we have more in common than we have differences, and sharing our individual struggles and strengths is a way we can grow in empathy and understanding of one another perhaps even inspiring a new avenue of learning to embark on in our own learning lives. So let us hear from you. Click the link in the show notes and leave me a voicemail and be part of a future episode. We opened this episode today with kids not liking school and wondering why, and then also talking about how they are always learning. I'd like to close today with talking about how learning is different than thinking and a few takeaways to put into practice. In episode four, we talked about the four types of learning, and in episode six, we defined learning. I'd like to remind us today about what learning is. Learning is done through our own experiences and observations. It's personal to the learner and the testimony from others. This can be from interpersonal, real-time relationships, conversations that we have with others, and media we learn from. Books, social media, television, magazines, you get the documentaries, you get the idea, lectures, school. So those are all examples of testimony, and that is how we learn about things that are too small, too big, and too far away. That's what learning is. In his article that we've been discussing in this podcast, Willingham explains how thinking works. So thinking and learning are different. He differentiates thinking in two categories, working memory and long-term memory. We're going to break these down. Working memory is real-time And conscious. This is the site of awareness. You're aware of what's happening around you. You're getting information from your sensory system, and you have limited space in your brain to manage a mental task at hand. That's your consciousness. That's what's happening in your working memory when you're thinking. Long term memory is not conscious, and we are not aware. It's filed in the library of the mind, if you will. That library that you've built from learning through experiences, observations, and testimony. So all that learning you did gets filed away in that long-term memory. and It's not currently available in conscious thought. The library is outside of that consciousness until you need it. And in the library, there are facts, memories, experiences, and procedures, those habits. So when we think, we are pulling into our conscious awareness information from our real-time lives, right? That sensory system from the environment, the problem at hand that we're trying to work on in our minds as we think, and all the retrievals from long-term memory to find an answer to the solution. And we use our imagination as well. That's what thinking is. So thinking is something that we're doing in real time. Learning is the process where we ingest information, we encode habits, and we store them away in the libraries of our minds so that when we think, we can pull from those libraries and solve problems. Today's tool. In summary, and as we close... As homeschooling guides, I'd like to remind us of what we've picked up here in episode 10, the importance of de-schooling, and part of that process, if we're just starting or if we need to deepen it, is to make sure that our why, for why we're homeschooling, our purpose is written down along with our family values. And then we have learned two ways to categorize support for our kids and their learning lives. And these two ways are skills and content. Skills are largely procedures we build, those habits that we encode, and then we put them in the library of our mind. And then content is knowledge acquisition, the memories, the experiences, and the facts that go into the libraries of our mind. So when we think about skills, We need to support our children's natural desire to acquire these skills that they need to teach themselves when they are ready for them. These skills are reading, writing, and math. Once we have basic mastery of reading, writing, and math as humans, we can teach ourselves. So we definitely want our children to have these, but when we push them outside the window of their comfort, and their ability, it is the road to frustration for all of us. It sends that judgment as well, remember? And the philosophers that we've talked about today, Montessori, Holt, and Charlotte Mason, all talk about releasing the judgment, that that's one of the best ways we can really support the child's ability to be an autodidact, to teach themselves by creating that judgment-free zone. When we're thinking about content acquisition, facts, experience, and procedures to build in those libraries of our minds, we can do this in a myriad of ways. So get creative. And we're going to discuss this in detail in the next two episodes. So we're going to look at strewing and laying the feast and preparing the environment and cultivating a morning time practice. But building content is just that. It's knowledge acquisition those facts, those experiences, and those processes. It's just living life alongside your children, to simply put it, as simple as possible. Those are the two tools I'd like you to leave with today, is honoring your child's timeline and interests as you look to build skills, and then just enjoying them and learning alongside them, and let them lead the way as we bring in experiences and content into our libraries of our minds. Well, that wraps up another episode of the 90-Minute School Day podcast. Thank you for being with me today. If you have enjoyed this podcast, can I ask you to rate it and maybe even write a review and definitely share it with a friend or family member you think might benefit from learning along with us here at the 90-Minute School Day. Remember that a journey towards more natural and fulfilling education for your children to enjoy is through a process called deschooling. It's a lifelong practice that breaks us free from the conditioning of school to embrace individualized learning. If you want to learn more about deschooling and join a supportive community, consider checking out the guide training waitlist linked in our show notes. And as we all navigate this homeschooling path, It's crucial to prioritize and practice getting clear on why we are homeschooling and what our family values are. It's a compass that keeps us aligned with what matters most to our family. Before we leave today, I want to highlight the article mentioned in today's episode, Why Don't Students Like School? It is such a great read by Daniel T. Willingham. I do recommend listening to episode nine either before or after you read the article, because I just think there's so much synergy between these two bodies of work. And uh, you can find the link for his article in our show notes, along with the recommended books to dive deeper into the philosophies of John Holt, Charlotte Mason, and Dr. Montessori. In our next episodes, we'll be exploring practical ways to support our child's natural desire to learn and build those crucial memory libraries. So stay tuned. And until next time... Happy homeschooling.